I am, I'm excited to be able to, to speak with you this morning. And um, um, when I found out I had the opportunity to speak, I, I, um, I had a discussion with Joanne, and, and she was like, well, if, you know, I know you've been really busy and everything's going on, so if this is not something that excites you or anything like that, I was like, yeah, I've been busy, and things have been going on, and excitement is an interesting thing. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of weight that comes with speaking for God. And so I don't know if I'm ever excited to speak for God. If you read the scripture, everybody who's asked to do that is like running away, going somewhere else first, and then God comes back and says, no, seriously, you got to do this. And there you go, okay. And, um, but what seems to happen for me is in the midst of planning and preparation for this, I, this, this excitement builds. And this has been, this has been a hard week to prepare um, just because there has been a lot of stuff happening. But um, as I've been thinking about where we were last week with Youth Sunday and, and what we talked about with trust um, and some of the lessons that God taught me in the midst of, of preparation for that week, um, God led me towards something that I feel like is just, um, it speaks to me probably, in some ways it's probably, it may speak to me more than it ever will speak to you this week weekend rather. So, but, um, this morning I, I, I want to kind of take you back in my life just for a moment. And I want to share with you, um, a person that I, I met when I was about 16 or 17 years old. And, um, his name was Elder Green. And, um, now I, I don't, this sounds crazy, but I don't even know his first name. Okay. His last name was Green, and we, we were on mission trip in Washington, D.C., and um, I took my first mission trip in 1993 when I was uh, between my junior and senior year in high school, and since then I've been on 44 more mission trips from then. So I've, I've been lots and lots of places, but I spent most of that, that first seven or eight in Washington, D.C., working in a community called Ward 7, which is a government housing project. And... Um, we did VBS for kids, and we did night music crusades and all kinds of crazy stuff. We did, you know, on the streets, just right in the parking lot, go set up a sound system and make it happen. And um, it, was, it was a beautiful and fun and awesome experience. But out of all the people that I met um, in the process of being there in Washington, D.C., this, this gentleman, Elder Green, he was an elder in the church that we worked for um, or worked in. And um, he was a special person. Just a very, very special man. And um, there's lots of things about him. He was old, okay? And, and that sounds crazy, but he was, he was old like nobody else in the community that he lived in was old, okay? And, it, and in that place where he lived, being old was a blessing. It didn't come very often. There wasn't a lot of health. It was a dangerous place to live. And so if you made it to be old, if you made it to be able to be called elder, it was saying something, um, one of the one of the things I remember about him is that um, it's you know it's a black gospel church and the music is awesome. If you read Raise the Praise yesterday, there was there was just a, a, a solo and a keyboard act that that not act but a, a team that that played some some gospel music right after um, the Connect Band was there, and it was just took me back in those moments to that because that's what it was. It was just like a piano, sometimes not even an instrument. It's just somebody starts singing a song, and there's tambourines, and it's just it's pure. But he had this. He was like I said, he was old, but he would stand in the corner and he would just 
and he's singing, and, but he had this little dance and this move that he just did, and it's just, it's so fresh in my mind because I think about him often, but he was classic in just the way that he carried himself. He was quiet and he was reserved until he was not. You ever met somebody like that? It's like, it's totally quiet, just cool. And then when it's time to not be, that was who he was. And we, we were standing in a circle of students, you know, praying in, in, in a typical youth fashion. You know, somebody says, okay, you go ahead and say, okay, brother, go. And there's 30 people in a circle, nobody can hear what they're saying. Okay? And then Elder Green from the corner goes, speak up. You know, start over, speak up. <laughs> just, you know, and he speaks and everybody's like, yes, Lord, now it's time to pray. You know, and it's just, he, he spoke with authority. He spoke with um, passion. But as we, as we walked into that church the very first day, he was the only person sitting in the room. And he was sitting at a table in a folding metal chair and he had his Bible open in front of him. And he's just reading. And you see, the thing about Elder Green is that he spent almost every day, now that he had retired, he spent almost every day sitting in this church, which was just an apartment in one of the complexes that had, been, had a wall knocked out between it, okay? That was church. He sat in that chair every day with that Bible open in front of him. And he read, and he poured, and he prayed all day long. And whoever would come down into the church, they would come in and they would, they would meet him or he would greet them as they came in. He'd help them with whatever they needed to have for that. But he knew the Bible like nobody I've ever known and have ever since known. You could, um, you could read a passage just from anywhere and he would tell you where it was in the scripture. If you looked at him and said, hey, um, Elder Green, what's Ephesians 3, 7? He would say, which I, I don't have it. I just wrote numbers down. I know there's Ephesians 3, 7. But he would say it right to you. He knew it all. He knew all of it. If he played Star Wars or Scripture, I wrote this in here. If he played Star Wars or Scripture last week when we're here, he definitely would have won. Okay, he would have known. So he spent so much time in that Bible that he was basically a walking Bible. Everything he said, everything he did was like that. And in the time that I worked in that community, I never saw anybody who was more respected, anybody who was more loved. Um, he was extraordinary. But the thing about him is he would be the first one to tell you that he was just a normal person who had grown up in a hard place, who had given his life to Christ, had experienced forgiveness and grace. And all he wanted to do was to connect with that God who had loved him that much. And he's since long, long since gone to be on with the Lord. And I remember hearing the news that he had passed and like the, like the gap or almost emptiness that I'd felt just knowing that this person wasn't in that chair at that table any longer. But I think so many times how many people that I have met and known who spent time with him 
that he is still carried in their hearts as an inspiration, as something to help them remember how good God is. And so this morning, I wanted us to take a look at um, our lives in the midst of what it would mean to, to be like him in some ways. And, you know, each and every one of us has tons and tons of stuff on our plate. Like I said this morning, we, I, this has been a busy week for me. And um, Kel, my wife over here, just like get to one of these smiles like, you know, I, I don't, I've been all over the place. I've been to Carrollton. I've been, I mean, not that Carrollton's like forever far away. I mean, but, you know, I, I, mean, I drove all over the place one, one day this week and just back and forth and back and forth everywhere. And I was so exhausted. It was a great day, but exhausted at the end of it. But we have work and we have tasks. We have relationships in the community. I'm just going to name off some things. And if this is you, just raise your hand in your heart. You've got mom's groups that meet. Um, you got men's clubs that meet, which basically means we can watch sports. Um, you have civic organizations that you belong to. Um, students in the room have soccer games. Moms and dads in the room have soccer games. Um, you have baseball games. You take trips to the lake house. You're mowing the lawn. Um, you're making dinner. And, the, you know, all these things, the list just goes on and on and on of stuff that we do each and every day. And we literally work ourselves into a frenzy. We work ourselves into a place where we are just always on edge of what's coming and what's going to be in front of us as we go to the point sometimes that we're afraid to be alone. We're afraid to be in silence. And you all experience this. You go home and you turn the TV on just so there's the continuation of noise, even though you might not be in the room just something has to be there because if you don't, then there's this like gaping emptiness that we feel. In America today, 18% of our population deals with anxiety disorders. That's a significant group, okay? That's basically, you know, one in five of us. We spend $42 billion a year treating these disorders. That's a lot. 40 million people because we are so anxious. And I said I wasn't going to do this, but Craig said something, you know, it's anxiety is, is worrying about a future event that you can't even change. Is that right? Okay. Because it wasn't in my notes and I thought I was going to mess it up. He said it to me right before I came up. Um, and it just rings in my head. We've got this thing, this thing out there in front of us that we're chasing all the time that we cannot change. We cannot catch. It's always in front of us. And we become anxious. We want to do things. We have to get things done. We have to accomplish things. I, listen to this list of words. These are all words that are synonyms for the word do. To accomplish, to undertake, to achieve, to make, to complete, to move, task list, determines, end, operate, finish. Here's a good one. Perform, execute, prepare, produce. This is the one that every one of my students worries about is succeed. 
and work. These are all things that we are after all the time. Success, accomplishment, doing, doing, and doing. I find myself in the midst of those words a lot. I'm a doer, okay? If, if I have downtime, I'll find something to do. I gotta go do something. If it's supposed to be simple, I'll make it hard. Why not? You know, I got time. It's the way it goes. And as we think about this, I want us to take a look a little bit at a piece of scripture. And it's familiar. It's a piece of scripture that almost all of us have probably heard. Um, but I want us to break it down and think about it a little bit more. And it's the story of Mary and Martha. And it's, um, it's found in Luke 10. And the verses are 38 through 42. Um, I think... Did we put these on the screen? Okay, yeah, cool. All right, because I, I told him something else, and then I didn't know what he did. So, But listen to these words. They're familiar. Say them in your heart. Listen to them again, and um, keep an open mind. Don't go like, oh, I've heard this story a million times. He's going to talk about doing and busyness. That's, yeah, great. I came to church today. But think about this for just a moment as we read it. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And the village is Bethany, by the way. It's about two miles away from Jerusalem. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And as she, as she, had, a, and, excuse me, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, you know, we read stories where Jesus is involved. We see stories where he's involved. And a lot of times we think, okay, well, this is a story. Okay, there's a characters in a book. These are real people. Okay, Mary and Martha... Um, this is not a parable. This is not, you know, like the, you know, the sower who went out to the field and he cast seed. And, you know, it's just not an idea. Like, these are real folk, okay? And these, these two ladies, Mary and Martha, are actually the, the sisters of a man named Lazarus who had been dead and whom Jesus had raised from the dead, okay? And they go to his house, or her house, rather, and... Jesus is there. And sometimes you might think about, you know, okay, it's, it's Mary and Martha and Jesus, probably Lazarus sitting around. It's just the four of them, and she's busy about doing stuff. But think about this for just a second, because Jesus was a rabbi, which meant he had disciples. So he had the 12 at this time who were with him. But the 12 are who we hear about, but there could be upwards of 70 people following him around at any given time, sometimes maybe even more. And so if he left Jerusalem and he just heads to Bethany, which is two miles away, like basically walking from here to up 29 to where the CVS is on the bypass, it's two miles on the dot. I looked at a map, okay? I, I spent like way too much time trying to figure out how far that was, by the way. <laughs> but he walks that far in this big crowd of people and people follow him all the time and listen to what he said. How many people might have shown up at Martha's house that day? Would you freak out if Jesus just showed up with, let's just cut it in half, 30 people at your house? Hey, 
can we eat? That's crazy, right? But she's there in those moments. Most of us could probably relate to that. And then there's her sister, Mary. And even though it's not in this story, I always think, you know, Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? I just sit here and I watch it and listen to it and it grows. That's, that's Mary in my mind, okay? But she's there and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's hanging in those moments and hanging on what Jesus is saying and she's enjoying his presence being in their home. And like any good respecting American home builder would do, Martha walks in and she's ticked, okay? And I love, I love the honesty of what she says. Do you not care? But first she says, Lord, okay. Would you walk up to your Lord and go, Lord, do you not care? I believe you're the son of God. Do you not care that I'm in here and I'm slaving away and I'm cooking meals and I'm doing all this kind of stuff. I'm getting all this thing here. I'm getting this thing here for all the people that you brought to my house. Do you not care? I love the way that the King James says it. Okay, I put this in here and I'm going to try to do this with a, like a little British accent, okay? Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Doesn't that sound awesome? Bid her, therefore, she helped me. That's horrible, right? I mean, can you imagine this person walking up to Jesus and saying these things to him right in the middle of that room? But how many of us would do the same thing? How many of us would feel such anxiety and such overwhelming weight of all the things that needed to be done that we would separate ourselves from Jesus even in those moments. His reply is amazing and so full of grace for each and every one. He says, Martha, and then like the second, Martha, are you listening to me? Martha, Martha. You're anxious and troubled about many things. Such compassion, such tenderness, and such understanding to know her heart and her struggle that she's in. One thing is necessary. Now, there's some people that think that, you know, Jesus could quite simply have been talking about, you know, you're going to trouble of of building this whole banquet for me, but all I needed was just, like, one really good pan of mac and cheese and that would have been just fine. And he might be saying that at some level. But almost every time Jesus says something, it may be something literal and practical about it, but there's also something underneath it that says something more to each and every one of us. Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary had chosen 
to let go of the busyness of the moment, to let go of the hustle, to let go of the room around her and put her focus on the center, literally, of the universe who was sitting right in front of her. Martha was building a banquet of tasks that weren't put on her by Christ. God didn't ask her for these things. She was coming up with all of this on her own. But only one thing was necessary, the relationship that was in that place. Instead of doing for like Martha had done, Mary had chosen being with God. Now listen to some of the words that connect to the word to be. Remember we talked about to do. So let's talk about to be. To endure. Alive. Breathe. Continue. To remain. To hold. To inhabit. To live. To obtain. To prevail. To stay. To persist to subsist, and to abide. Very different words than the synonyms for to do, that it is to be. Some of these words seem like a foreign language when we start really thinking about them. Even in ministry programs and our faith walks, we sometimes see these things as foreign concepts. This last word that was on there, to abide, is a powerful word, and it means to dwell or to reside in the midst of something. And I want to just remind you of another piece of scripture, another comment from, from Jesus, and it's found in John chapter 15, and it says this, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. Listen to this. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, unless you dwell, unless you reside in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides, whoever dwells, whoever resides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We abide in the person of Christ. We do this through prayer. We do this through worship where we set aside our priority. We set aside our time. We set aside our, our desires in order to be inside of his presence. When we study his word, when we see the scriptures new each time, we hear his voice and we begin to see the world through his heart and his eyes. 
Um, it's like if you got glasses, the first time I got gl- glasses, I was looking at a picture of myself just a, you know, a few years back when I didn't have glasses and realized you know, that I looked so much different. And then I thought about what it means to have these things on my face because the world was blurry, but now I can see. And when we read the scriptures and when we hear his voice and his heartbeat begins to to take over our own and we begin to see the world like he sees it, things begin to change. The things that were blurry become clear because we've abided, we've made our dwelling place in who he is. This is what Mary had chosen. This is the good portion. This is the better portion. This is the thing that is necessary. Listen, every Martha that is in this room, and let me tell you, my wife will confirm it. My middle name is Martha. Okay. Brent Fielding, Martha Ritter. Okay. You might be saying, yeah, but everything has got to get done. We got to get it done. Okay. At some point, we can't just sit around listening to Jesus all the time. Ooh. I started writing this stuff down in my notes and I started thinking, oh man, I feel like I'm going to throw up because I'm listening to myself. We've got ministry to do. We've got church to get done. Somebody's got to do it. If they're just going to sit around and listen to Jesus talk, well, I'm, well, man, you hear it? You feel it? It's real, folks. It's real. And it's our culture. We do have to get things done. Jesus understands that. He commanded people to go, but he said that if you abide in him, that you will produce fruit. And if you don't abide in him, you will produce nothing. We get it backwards. When I think back at Elder Green, I think that's what I really remember. There were all types of things that he could have been doing when he retired. But he sat in a metal folding chair at a table. And he let the word of God be his dwelling place. Until the moment arose when God would call him to a place to help someone or to involve himself in the lives of someone And because he was so immersed in the dwelling with God, he knew exactly the moments to do what God had called him to do because he had been with God. So this morning I titled my message to be or not to be. That is the question. Are you what you do or are you what you be? I know it's bad grammar. But are you what you do? Or are you what you be? I may struggle with this more than anybody else in the room. For crying out loud, I played bass and preached this morning. (laughs) If we don't make our dwelling place in the heartbeat of God, then our efforts to 
change the world, our efforts to be part of the kingdom of God will produce no real fruit. We might have the task list checked, but the fruit spoils quickly. This morning, um, as we um, as we close, I've asked Craig, um, and you can come on up and start rolling there. But I've asked Craig this this past Sunday night at youth group, we we did a prayer exercise, really, which was a moment where we could stop and slow down and allow God to inundate who we are. And even in the middle of a church service, sometimes it's really hard to stop and slow down and even listen to who God is. And so I want to encourage you. This might be weird for you today. Um, And you know what? That's totally okay. Doing weird stuff is awesome. But um, take this opportunity as Craig leads us through this, um, this prayer to let your heart be alive with God. Let your dwelling place be in his presence and allow him to speak to your heart. This may feel a little uncomfortable. And if you are one of the youth who participated last Sunday or in Sunday school a few weeks ago, um, you, you remember that it was a very peaceful moment. And we sometimes uh, are so busy conforming to what this world puts on us and fearing the anxiety of what's going to happen next that we forget just to be still. So I invite you to, uh, to get into a posture of prayer where you're comfortable. We're going to take a little journey. And um, this is called imaginative prayer. And I just invite you to embrace this and and to journey with me. So let's pray. Stop. Stop your thinking. Stop your worrying. Be still. And really focus on your breathing. Center your thinking right now on your breath as you breathe in slowly and deeply and you exhale slowly and breathe in slowly and deeply and exhale slowly and as you continue breathing just focus on any tension you might feel in your body Notice where the tension is. And as you breathe out, let that tension go out with your breath. And just stay focused on the breathing. And as you breathe, Breathe in the Holy Spirit and tell yourself, Holy Spirit, I know you're with me. And as you exhale, think, I give you my busyness, my anxiety, 
my tasks, my stresses, my activities. Holy Spirit, I know you're with me. I give you my busyness, my tasks, my activities. And now think about a very safe and peaceful place that you know of. Maybe it's on your favorite beach, or it's sitting by a mountain stream or lake, or just sitting in the woods somewhere. And allow your mind to take you there. Try to smell it, to see it, to hear it. Imagine that you're all alone there, completely relaxed, completely at peace. And you see a figure approaching you, and you recognize him as Jesus. Can you receive him? What does he look like? He comes and sits quietly next to you. What does he say to you? You linger there with him in your peaceful place. Do you have something that you want to tell him? What does his face look like? Jesus says to you, Be still. And know that I am God. Let go of your busyness so that you can realize that I'm in control. Allow yourself to become weak, my child, and know that I'm the master of your life. I am your Lord and Savior. Not yourself. It's not your tasks. It's not your busyness. I am the master of your life. Can you accept his love? His unconditional love? There's nothing that you can do or say to earn his love. He will never love you more 
nor any less than he loves you right now. He loves you. Can you feel the freedom in that love? Because you can go forward in your life in the knowledge that Christ loves you unconditionally. Your identity, your being is in Him. Let go. Let go into His arms. Feel His peace. Feel the calm. Trust in Him. And return now to focusing on your breathing. Centered, controlled, easy. Your identity is in Him. Let go into His arms. Amen.